this place, after we moved out of Walkers, uh, out of the south side of Milwaukee, was a place where we'd come to celebrate someone's life after they'd passed. Um, but now as a historian, uh, I've kind of come to Guadalupe again in, in a different light, right? I've kind of analyzed it now as an academic. And what I've come to realize is that uh, Latinos, especially Mexicans and Mexican-Americans, have looked at Guadalupe from a lot of different perspectives. For many, it's a spiritual home, and that's all it's been, and that's an important space in their life. Uh, but Guadalupe has served as an important space uh, in the 20th century for uh, conversations about uh, police brutality on the south side of Milwaukee in the 1970s, uh, uh, places where alcohol and drug re rehabilitation conversations in the 1990s. And then, of course, in the early 2000s, with the growth of a national immigration justice movement, uh, in 2006, these pews were filled with people uh, who were calling for Latinos to be recognized as constitutive members of their communities, right? To not be seen as aliens by the people they call their neighbors. My sense is that locally, Catholic high schools, colleges, and universities, uh, but are very keen on attracting and retaining uh, Latino students. That, for me, is a source of uh, consolation in the present and hope for, for the future. You know, in the Jesuit tradition, you know, it's putting education to the service of the faith, to the service of, of, of the community. Uh, I'm not naive to, to think that racism and preconceived notions about immigrants, and specifically Hispanic immigrants, has disappeared from Milwaukee because I've had too many conversations with families to know. Uh, a reality of living in the Midwest is to know that there are some very extreme demographic shifts happening across our, our region, right? In places like Milwaukee, across rural Wisconsin, but really all across the upper Midwest. Um, what we know is that there's declining white populations, uh, they're older, uh, they're not having as many children, and that the areas of growth that are traditionally happening in places like Milwaukee and across this region are happening among Latino communities, both immigrant and second and third generation as well. I think institutions uh, all across the region recognize this. Uh, churches and places of higher education, parochial schools are part of those conversations as well. I think the important conversation that we're still working out, and sometimes it can be very difficult conversations at a place like Marquette, is what does it mean to pledge to become a Hispanic serving institution? And what does it mean to actually serve those students once they're on campus? And so some of these organizations that perhaps have traditionally been white, uh, have not done a very good job of reaching out to Latino communities uh, who have been communities per perhaps not traditionally seen as college-going communities um, are now having to reckon with the fact that they have to change themselves as well, not just the complexion of the students who are walking into their doors, right? And so, you know, there, there are academics who talk about what's the difference between being a Hispanic uh, institution and being a Hispanic serving institution, one that actually serves the students, right? The S in the HSI. S, exactly, right? Mm -hmm. and, and that's an important thing. I, and I think they should do well to look at the way in which churches historically have done that work because I think we can look at the history of Guadalupe and other churches in Milwaukee and know that it's not always been a smooth conversation. We talk about the incorporation of new communities into these spaces, right? Very difficult conversations, uh, but they're ones that are necessary. I would like to say something about William Haberstock, mm -hmm. my predecessor several times removed. <laughs> From what I know of William Haberstock is he was a native son, that's to say he grew up in this parish, immigrants from, from Germany. He would have preached in German, mm -hmm. I think as his first language, and in English as his second language. But um, recently, one of his descendants, a great, great, great nephew of uh, Father Haberstock, I'm presuming his goodwill, his love for Jesus and wanting to bring that to, uh, to others, but as I've heard you describe in another context, that 
a lot of brown people were showing up in the back pews of his church. Mm -hmm. And at some point he approached them, they approached him. Father, could we have a space? Uh, but not knowing his biography all that well, but at a minimum, he had compassion on this group of people who culturally were foreign to him and allowed them to, for a period of 10 months, use part of his church property to have their weekly masses. So um, born in the United States, still very much an immigrant in his own mentality, that must have contributed to his inclination to be accepting. No, they didn't. Yeah, and, you know, and as we think about the importance of that 100-year history to us today, I think it really speaks to the fact that we often think of the Catholic Church as a large institution. It's obviously an international institution, right? The uh, faith knows no borders in that way. Um, but sometimes we can get lost in the bigness of the church. These stories kind of remind us that it's the individuals that are constitutive of the church, right? That the church is in fact the people. It's not these physical spaces. It's the people who have made the church community themselves. And I imagine that whatever Holy Trinity Guadalupe looks like in the future, it's going to be dependent on the people as well.